thank you to our scripture reader. Um, uh, to me in, in just the rest. I was really happy to hear that what you're doing on Good Friday is uh, a little bit different from <laughs> what I'm going to share with you guys today. Um, uh, as you heard from this passage, this uh, passage is actually often um, used for Good Friday because it uh, predicts uh, the coming of a suffering uh, Messiah, sometimes called a suffering servant. So I trust that what you guys do on Friday with the Gospels and seeing how uh, Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled will fit really well. But um, I'm already um, uh, giving thanks to God uh, for this uh, small providence in grace. So as we, as we approach uh, Good Friday and Easter together, as today is Palm Sunday, um, uh, what we're doing is uh, remembering the last uh, week of Jesus's, uh, of earth, uh, of Jesus's earthly life, uh, plus his burial and resurrection. And, oh, let me get, let me share my screen here so that I don't have to do that later. Okay, I'm gonna leave it like that because I can look at my notes on my computer at the same time. Um, but I think a week like this is uh, so, or it can be so helpful to us uh, because if Jesus did not come to this earth and not only die on a cross, but die on the cross for the sins of the world, even your sins and mine, then um, we're in big trouble. Uh, likewise, if he did not uh, rise from the dead, as we'll celebrate next Sunday on Easter, um, we're in big trouble. And it's, it's not just us as Christians being deceived but it's actually the, there's no um, gospel anymore. There's no good news. There is no uh, way for us to be forgiven of our sins. Um, you look at the problems in our world, the really obvious one um, in our society and racism and violence. You look at stuff like that, there's a lot of societal problems. That's one of them, right? It's a really prominent one right now, but there's a lot of other ones right, whether you want to talk about political divisions, other racism goes in other directions, right, also um, you know, poverty, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, if Good Friday and Easter is not real, then there, there's not a lot of hope. Um, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you solve those things? But on the flip side, what the Bible is teaching us and what we're really uh, focusing on uh, hopefully as much as we can, along with our churches this week, uh, is, uh, is the, are, these are these historical realities and truths of the good news of Jesus Christ? There, there really was a Jewish man who wasn't just a man, and that um, he came in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and he died on a Roman cross. Uh, Non-Christians agree with that, but his death was different than others. You know, as we know from the New Testament and from history, Jesus was not the only person to be crucified, right? On his right and his left, there were, there were other, there were two other people that were crucified, and that wasn't the only time anyone ever got crucified. But what passages like Isaiah chapter 53 tell us is that Jesus' death uh, was different. It wasn't just another Roman crucifixion. Um, 
it was what Isaiah 53 is claiming is that his death was actually an, a sacrificial atonement for the sins of the world. So that wasn't true for the other two men. They were just dying um, as criminals were being executed for whatever they did, um, you know, in the Roman Empire. And Jesus was crucified uh, on uh, false charges. But in addition to that, he was taking upon himself the punishment for sin for all who would believe in him. And if that's true, then there is hope and there is salvation. There is a way forward. And that is so um, encouraging. And I hope that through our time, uh, considering this passage in detail, and it is kind of long, so we'll probably not be able to do the last part in a lot of detail, but that we will be encouraged and have our hearts directed towards the Lord Jesus, um, his death and his resurrection and the hope that we have in him. Because uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I certainly need that hope uh, often. <laughs> especially uh, these days in eternal sense, not to say that other circumstantial things don't matter or whatever, but in eternal sense, uh, the only place that we can find that I believe is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Lord. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Isaiah because it's not really a book that people know a lot about, or uh, it's not an easy book either. But it actually, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, it probably talks more about the coming of Christ than any other book in the Old Testament. So that is to say that it has a lot of predictions or prophecies of the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. So just as a few examples, I've there's more than this, but here's the first two are really famous. We hear about them a lot at Christmas time. So Isaiah was the prophet who prophesied that there would be a child named Emmanuel that would be born of a virgin. So Isaiah is saying this um, hundreds of years before Jesus came, around six or 700 years before. And another one that we often hear at Christmas time, Isaiah 9, 6, to us, a child is born, a son is given, and his name will be called, among other things, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So if you've, um, not all of us have necessarily been in church a lot, but if you have, maybe a lot of us have, you've probably heard these verses at Christmas. These are some of the prophecies that, the Isaiah the prophet gave about the coming king, about Messiah, that, that Jesus uh, was and is. Now, the interesting thing about Isaiah's prophecies about the coming Messiah is that they often highlight the glory and victory that he will bring, right? So this it's, it's a lot of hope. It's really encouraging, right? There's going to be a child whose name is Emmanuel. His name means God with us. He's in the second verse. He's going to be a prince of peace. But at the same time, there's a few other prophecies also by the same prophet Isaiah that seem to say stuff that's contradictory about this coming king. So you have to keep in mind that a lot of his prophecies about the Messiah say that he's going to be victorious, he's going to be glorious, he's going to be triumphant, he's going to bring in this perfect eternal kingdom, and everything's going to be great. The whole world will enjoy the blessing of God under his reign. But then you've got other passages, if you look at the third bullet point here, that talk about a coming servant who's going to be despised. Um, who's going to be hated by a nation in Isaiah 49, 7. And then the next chapter, Isaiah 50, verse 6 and verse 7, there's a servant, again, who says that he gave his back to be beaten and he gave his face to be spit on. And so 
you might wonder, okay, how is this all going to fit together? I thought the, there's going to be this perfect king and he's going to make everything right. But then why is it also talking about this other servant? Is it the same person, but the servant's being despised and all this kind of stuff? Well, in our passage today, I think a lot of these threads come together and the mystery is, is resolved. But it's not a mystery that everyone necessarily understands, even after it is explained. And so I think by and by the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our life was always supposed to go in the way that it really went. But yes, he's going to bring in this perfect kingdom, but it's not just like this straight shot, like smooth sailing, like he just shows up and he brings his perfect kingdom and it's just great. The kingdom are absolutely true, but the way to achieve it is through a horrific death and all that led up to it. And so I think you see that in Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13. And let me, uh, yeah. So I kind of broke it down this longer path. It's Jesus's, his exaltation and his humiliation. I talked about at the same time, like how can you be honored and despised? Isn't, isn't it one or the other? Well, you know, it'll, even this passage itself will explain. Um, so let's, let me sh just show you how this plays out. In the very first line of Isaiah 52, verse 13, it says, behold, my servant will act wisely and he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. So we're someone who serves God, even serves God perfectly. And this person is going to be honored and seated in the highest place. Um, this is a really important, uh, interesting statement in the book of Isaiah, because in the book that only God will be exalted in the last, uh, in the end, that everything that um, human beings boast about, all of those things will be humbled and put down, and God alone will be exalted. But somehow here, there's a servant. There's a servant of God who is going to be exalted. Now, just as soon as it says that, it says in the next, starts talking about the next verse and most of the rest of this passage um, about just how despised he will be and how much he will suffer. And in the middle, we'll get an explanation. But let's look at these amazing statements. Uh, 52.14, it says that many are, just as many were appalled at you. So this servant would be ghastly. He was going, to, was going to be twisted and distorted and marred. He was going to be made ugly. And he was going to be so ugly that when people looked at him, they would be appalled. That's what Isaiah 52 verse 14 says. And it says that his appearance would be so bad that people would, um, later on down, it says that People would hide their faces. It was just, it's just, it was just too hard to look at. I think we know what, what Isaiah is talking about here. Um, but he's he's talking about the suffering of Christ um, on the cross and and the way his body was um, had been. But in verse fifteen, the last part of chapter fifty-two, you get a little bit of explanation. 
what is it that's just happening? Is it just someone being beaten and then crucified? Well, it was through this. He sprinkles many nations. Okay, so I need to draw your attention as I did on the slide here to the sprinkler like that people might have on a lawn or something like that. Now, what, what would they sprinkle in the Old Testament? They would sprinkle blood. And the reason for that is because some animal sacrifices involve the collection of the animal blood, and the sacrificial ritual would involve a priest sprinkling or, or something like that. And what this is saying, though, is that, is that this servant, he is going to sprinkle many nations. It's as though he, it doesn't tell you exactly here, but it uh, later on in, in, in other passages of the New Testament, especially, it talks about how Jesus Sorry, what was the last thing I said? Quote, it talks about how Jesus, and then you trailed off. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, let's just keep going. Kings will honor him. Um, there will be some people in high places that recognize uh, Christ. And we've seen that in history and sometimes today. It's not every single king, Isaiah 52, 15, that, um, uh, honors Christ, they stop their mouth, they listen to what he says, but some do. But on the other hand, Isaiah 53, uh, verse 1, as we can continue moving through here, it says that a lot of people will not believe in Christ. So when, um, oh, I need to reshare, huh? Uh, yeah. So um, when it says in Isaiah 53, 1, that who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's basically a way of saying, well, why didn't, why did it, why did so many people not believe? Why did so many people reject Jesus? And you might be able to even understand why, right? Maybe they just don't feel a need, but if they're also reading some other, if they're aware of some of these prophecies in Isaiah, they think, Hey, this King is supposed to just um, bring this perfect kingdom right away. And he didn't. So it can't be him. Um, so there, there, there will always be a sense of hiddenness and, and mystery about the gospel, uh, which is why we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see and to open the eyes of other people to understand the glory of Jesus. Because even though he didn't come um, with obvious um, visible glory the first time, his coming as a humble servant is still glorious in its own sense, right? Like if you recognize, man, this is the son of God who came like an ordinary man and lived in perfect obedience to God to the point of allowing himself to be 
disfigured and beaten and crucified. It's not a pretty picture, but it is also a glorious thing at the same time. And so that's how sort of the, that's exactly where the mystery is and why is it that sometimes, a lot of times, uh, people don't understand. None of us could understand without God's help and opening our eyes. Um, continuing into Isaiah 53, verse 2 and, and 3, it says that he grew up before us like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. And then again, it says that he didn't look like anything special and people despised him. Um, we've all probably had the experience of, of being overlooked or uh, being despised or, or even worse. Um, but Jesus knows that, right? He's experienced that. Um, he was acquainted with grief. Um, I got a little picture here that relates to that phrase, a root out of dry ground. Simply, maybe it'll help us visualize what's happening and grasp what the prophet's saying in Isaiah 53, verse 2. Um, you know, a, a dry ground or a desert place or a desolate place, it's a place without much life, right? There's a little bit, right? There's probably still some like desert plants and animals that live in the desert. Um, but to have like new life in the midst of death, that's what Jesus was bringing. Um, he came into a world that's like the world today. It's, it's messed up because of sin and death and all kinds of other things. And yet he, God remembered us and remembered his own promises and covenant to bring salvation to the earth and to give people a chance. So that's the way he came. Now let's go on to the next section, which is really um, the heart of the passage because it explains um, the gospel itself and why is it that he had to suffer like that and what else, what else was happening in addition to the physical suffering. And it's a story that we know really well, um, but I hope uh, that it will encourage our hearts, um, including my own. Um, and you'll notice that in Isaiah 53, four through eight, you get an explanation of what's actually happening. Um, what, what is going on in addition to him being despised and rejected and beaten and, and all this stuff? Well, the answer is that what's happening with this servant who is also a king is that he's suffering for the sake of us sinners as a substitute. So not everybody who witnessed the historical crucifixion of Jesus knew that or believe that, that they just thought, okay, here's another guy who's being crucified. And what did he do to, have to suffer this? But what the Bible's telling us and the prophet Isaiah here is telling us that there's a lot more going on here, that this man was suffering as a substitute for sin and for sinners. He's suffering um, like an animal that would be sacrificed um, in the Old Testament days. That's what's happening. So in verses four through eight, he says that in, a, in different ways, a bunch of times. So for example, in verse four, it says, surely, so here's the explanation, right? This is what's happening. Well, why is this happening? Well, surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows. He wasn't just some random dude, you know, who did something wrong or even got falsely accused. It wasn't only that, but he was he was suffering for somebody else. He was taking on other people's griefs and sorrows upon himself. And one thing you might've noticed about this passage is that it says several times that he bears sins or griefs of other people. So that's the first time right there in verse four 
Um, but it says it several more times. So um, like down in verse uh, 11, the last line, he shall bear, or he's going to carry their iniquities. And then in verse 12, the last line, uh, second to last line, it says he bore the sin of many. So in other words, there's a lot of stuff on this person's shoulders. Uh, we probably all experienced having a lot on our shoulders. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like I have too much on my shoulders. Maybe you feel that too uh, sometimes. And when you feel that, it's like, well, man, I don't know how I'm going to carry this. I feel like I'm going to collapse or something. But as much weight as we have had on our shoulders before or maybe even now, we're talking about somebody in Isaiah 53 that had the greatest weight on his shoulders that anyone has ever had. And the reason is because he was bearing the sins of the entire world. He was bearing our griefs and our sorrows. Um, and so uh, verse four and five continue to talk about him as a substitute, that he takes our place. So not only does he bear our griefs and our sorrows, but verse five, why was he pierced? Why was he crushed? Well, it says it's because of our transgressions. It was because of our iniquities. Why was he chastised? Why was he punished? Verse five. Well, he was punished to bring us peace. So in other words, the Prince of Peace, he does bring this perfect peace, but in order to secure that peace, he has to make peace between man and God, human beings and God. And the peace has to be made because we have made ourselves any enemies of God because of our sins. So he does bring in this perfect peace, but he has to die in order to achieve it, taking on our sins and the punishment that we deserve upon himself. So it's not him that deserved it. Verse six, notice how direct it is that it, we are like sheep. We've gone astray and we did our own thing. We turned away from God, but God put all of our sins upon him. To talk about Jesus in this way, to talk about this suffering servant in this way, um, is, is a lot like um, the this, this sacrificial system that you find in the Old Testament law. Now, there's a lot of different kinds of sacrifices, but I just highlighted one on this slide. Um, on the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur, um, there was a sacrificial ritual that was, um, that I think is really similar to uh, what Jesus does for us. And it, it involves uh, several animals, but one of which was called a scapegoat. And so on Yom Kippur, they would have a scapegoat among other animals. They would first choose two goats and then cast lots for this one. And notice what happens with this particular animal. It actually doesn't get killed. Another one does, but this goat has all of the sins of the nation placed on its head. Right, so Aaron, who's the high priest at that time, I'm just reading from the slide now, he puts both of his hands on the head of the live goat, and then he confesses the iniquities of the whole nation. So the whole nation's celebrating this holiday. They're also fasting. And it's kind of, it's a, it's a ritual that symbolizes the sins of Israel being put on this animal's head, this scapegoat's head. Um, all their iniquities and all their uh, uh, transgressions. And then what happens after they do this symbolically is that somebody takes the goat out into the wilderness to some deserted place and releases it. It's as though it, their sins have been taken away and banished, but it's this goat that carried the sins over there because the sins get placed on the goat's head for symbolically and then it goes. 
So I, th I think there's, there's a, it's an, it's an amazing connection, I think, to Isaiah 53 that uh, um, talks about Jesus carrying our sins or bearing our sins uh, so many times in those verses that I showed you. He had the sins of the world placed on his head, as it were. And through his death, he banished the sins of those who would believe in him as far as the east is from the west. But when he did it, he did it alone. Just like the scapegoat, I mean, besides the person that takes him out there, who, who does come back, the scapegoat goes alone and doesn't return. Well, Jesus, he does return in the resurrection from the dead, but he did go. He did bear the sins uh, of the world, even your sins and mine alone. That weight is something that you and I will never know by the grace of God. And we'll spend eternity um, giving thanks and praise to God for that and enjoying his company and uh, the company of one another. Um, as the passage continues, uh, we also get additional statements about Jesus, about this servant's innocence, that he didn't do anything. Oh, sorry, I, I prepared this slide and everything, so I should show it to you. But I found a, a painting of a scapegoat um, that someone did in the mid-19th century, and it's, it's out there alone in a des desolate place. Um, so... Uh, so I'll leave that for you to enjoy for a, a little bit, a little while longer. Um, but yes, Jesus was innocent. Uh, verse seven, he uh, did not open his mouth. He was like lamb that was led to the slaughter. He was like a sheep that was silent before its shearers. Uh, I think this is emphasizing his obedience and humility and meekness um, under the greatest strain. But even as he was oppressed and um, accused falsely, he didn't uh, fight back and he obeyed the will of the Father. Now, to be fair, there are times you read, you'll read in the Gospels this week, there are some times where he had some dialogue, right, um, with those who accused him. Um, but for the most part, I mean, this, yeah, he, he, a lot of times he doesn't answer, right? So there are also parts of his trial where he just doesn't answer their questions. And that, that's just like what this passage says. Um, but, but thanks be to God, this is not um, the end for him. He was buried with the wicked, uh, verse 9. It's as though he himself was, was a wicked man. I mean, he was condemned, right? And then he died. So doesn't it look like he was wicked, he was guilty of the things he was charged up? But he will receive and already is receiving his, his great reward. And there are even... Um, <clears throat> There are even indications that uh, he knew about it. Of course he did, right? He's Jesus. But in, the, in this passage, it, it talks about how he's going to be satisfied with the sacrifice um, that he made. So, for example, in Isaiah 53, verse 10, uh, kind of go to the middle of the verse there. It says, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Um, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. So he knew what's going on this whole time. And even though he's suffering so much, he knows that there's a lot of good that's going to come out of it. And there's a satisfaction that he has because of that, says, says verse 11. There are even some hints that death is not going to be the end for him. 
because um, in verse 10, it says he's going to prolong his days. Okay, well, if he dies, didn't he just get buried in verse 9? How is he going to prolong his days? And even more than that, when you look at verse 12, um, when it says, I will divide a portion for him among the great, this is probably God saying that I'm going to reward this suffering servant. Well, if he's dead, then how is he going to get any reward? Um, so I think there's a hint here that he is going to, um, death is not the end for him because he's going to get a reward. And remember the very first line of this entire passage, Isaiah 52, verse 13, he is high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And we know with greater clarity uh, after the resurrection that that happens when Jesus rises from the dead. So he is not um, permanently in a humble, afflicted, humiliated suffering kind of state. That's temporary. It's terrible, but it's, it's temporary because the end for him uh, was and is right now um, exaltation to the right hand of God. And we get the encouragement of knowing that that's our Lord. That's our savior. And he's the one who is going to bring us to be with him. Uh, even as uh, we endure uh, everything that we're enduring these days, um, those things that are common related to the pandemic and those things that are uh, more individual related, related to each of the things that, that we're experiencing. So I hope that this passage is an encouraging one in drawing our attention um, to Jesus and um, what he did on the cross and how he bore our sins, that weight that we could not bear like the scapegoat did or was supposed to. And that we might also have greater hope in the resurrection. He rose from the dead. And so we have hope in him as well. So let me pray for us and we'll conclude our, our message time. Father, thank you for your word. We know that it is true. It's reliable. There are even prophecies like these that were fulfilled in Christ and others that are yet to be fulfilled. We pray that we would take heart, that you would give us strength uh, when we are discouraged, when we are weighed down, when we uh, lose hope. Father, help us to look to Christ to know that we have hope because of him, that we have been reconciled with you, that our sins have been forgiven because Christ has borne our sins, that we have a sure future, that you will be with us in this earthly journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, please receive this benediction from the scriptures. May the love of God the Father and of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his spirit be with us and encourage our hearts give us strength until that day when he returns in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.